0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. We are so glad to have you here, especially if you're new. I want to welcome uh, you here. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, it's not over till it's over. Tell them that right now. It's not over till it's over. So good to have you here. My name is John Anderson. I'm the campus pastor here. And if you can't tell, I'm just a little excited for March Madness. Any basketball fans out there? Okay, 12 of you. Great. Uh, really glad uh, for that as well. There's, spring means a lot of things to a lot of people. For some of you, it's, you know, the the warmer temperatures. It's very, very exciting. The ice melting. Can I get an amen for ice melting? That's a really good thing. That's right. Bigger amen for ice melting than basketball. I get it, uh, how it is uh, as well. Uh, Maybe a spring break trip, maybe some spring cleaning, warmer temperatures. For me, spring break, this time of year, means basketball it means dramatic come from behind victories and i was thinking about that uh today remembering this this powerful come from behind victory a few weeks ago the reason i'm showing this to you today is because i was been terrible recently and so i'm trying to cheer myself up a little bit And remember this moment in this game from about two or three weeks ago when when the holy spirit (laughs) came upon the hawkeyes in this this moment uh, and, 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 and God was, was with them, and they defeated the evil Wildcats from Northwestern. I don't know what, now just for the record, okay, just to be fair, apparently there was another team from Iowa that played some games this weekend, so you cycling fans, congratulations on your Big 12 championship. That's great. So Iowa was down 12 with two minutes to go. Okay, so back to that, right? Now, if you're not a sports fan, if you're not a basketball person, okay? This is this is insurmountable odds. You don't come back and win when you're down 12 with 2 minutes to go. Even if you don't understand basketball and get nobody does that, right? And that's why at the end of that clip, maybe you missed it, but the announcer said a dramatic miracle. A miracle come from behind. Victory. That is a powerful word, and it's way bigger than sports. So some of you are like, okay, enough of the basketball. No, this is life. We don't use that word very often, but when we do, it means something. It, It has gravitas. It has weight to it, a miracle. We use that when it seems like all was lost, when the odds are too much to overcome. And that's why I believe that sports are such a powerful illustration for life. Because whether you care about sports or basketball or all these games or whatever, every single one of you walked in here today wanting a victory. I don't know anybody that doesn't. The problem is we don't feel victorious all the time. We don't feel like we're living a victorious life. We don't feel like we're hashtag winning, as some people like to say. How do you know if you're winning in life? How, how do you know if you're having success? What does that really mean? Every single one, one of us wants a victory. The problem is a lot of us feel like a team, like a sports team, that's way down, like the game's over. A lot of us feel helpless or hopeless today. A lot of us feel defeated in some way and beaten down. Maybe there's yourself or a family member that's recently got a diagnosis or you've recently lost a loved one and you just feel so down for the count just beaten down. Maybe it's the the fire, the the passion, the flame of your marriage that once is down to a little pilot light. Now, you feel like you're down and out, so far away from victorious living. Maybe if you're a a young parent, a young family, you're just desperately in need of some rest from this craziness of parenting and just trying to keep up a little bit. Maybe the budget meeting every month keeps beating you down and you wonder, am I ever going to get back To to stability, I just always feel like I'm down. Maybe some of you have been waiting for an answer to prayer. We want to start a family. I've been praying for my loved one to come to church. I've been praying for them to come to faith. I've been praying for God to change somebody's heart, but it just doesn't seem like it's happening. And rather than winning at life, it maybe feels like you're just surviving. I mean, I've got a pile of laundry at home, you might be saying, and the kitchen's a disaster and the kids won't behave and our marriage is a train wreck. But here we are at church. You're not winning. feels like you're losing. Maybe just surviving. You might even say, I, I need an intervention today. I need a miracle. I need a-, I need a touch from God. Well, the good news today is that no matter where you're at, the good news is just like the hawks. We have a God that says to all of us today, it's not over till it's over. And with Jesus, it's never over. It's never over over. Turn to your neighbor, turn to your other neighbor and say it's not over. Tell them that right now. It's not over. It's not over. I want to make sure you're with me here this morning if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 5 and we're going to find out why it's never over with Jesus. Mark chapter 5. If you need a Bible, want everybody to bring a Bible to worship every week. It's just I don't know, it's kind of weird, but it's what we do here at Hope. We actually bring our Bibles to worship. If you need one, they're in the back and you can always grab one. That's our gift. To you. We're in the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, and we've been going through the book of Mark during this season of Lent leading up to Easter. We're taking a book a month here at Hope, and so for March, we're calling this sermon series Miracle March, not just because of some dramatic basketball games and miracle endings, but because of the miracles that take place in the book of Mark. And so today we encounter not just one, but two. It's a doubleheader today for miracles for Jesus. Two people that are in need of a dramatic comeback victory in life. Maybe you're feeling that way today. This story, these stories are for you. To kind of set the stage of where we're at, if you've got your Bibles open, if you remember, if you were here last week, uh, again, we encourage you to come every week as these stories really build on each other, and you're really going to get the narrative of Scripture. The Bible is not isolated Scripture references. You do know that, right, that you can post to your Facebook page. It's a story, And stories have beginnings and middles and ends. And so if you're just popping in once in a while and you're like, this doesn't make any sense, would it make sense if you went into a movie 45 minutes late? No, right? So it's important to know the whole story. You're going to feel way out of it. So to to set the scene, if you remember last week, Jesus was sailing across with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowds. By this time, Jesus is growing in popularity. He's done lots of miracles. And so he's growing uh, uh, quite a following, quite a crowd, And so there's all these people trying to get to him. And so to get away from the crowds, he sails across the lake. Well, what does he find when he gets across the sea? More people, a bigger crowd, right? He's got this following. He's a rock star. There's a reason that musical that a lot of you grew up with in the 70s and 80s was called Jesus Christ Superstar, right? Because of stories like this. He's a superstar. He's famous. If you're healing people and words getting out, there's a lot of people that are going to grab around. And so there's a huge crowd, hundreds if not thousands of people that are following Jesus. And it's in this crowd of people, as we learn, skip down to verse 25, one of the faces in this crowd is a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Mark doesn't tell us exactly why. We don't know what her condition is. But we read that she's seen multiple doctors, multiple tests, multiple attempts. Nothing is fixed, whatever condition that she has. I love how relevant the Bible is because some of you are right there today. We've seen multiple doctors, we've seen multiple, sp- nothing's worked. Nothing's worked. So, this is where this woman is. She's got to think in sports terms, it's over. You know that point when you're watching your favorite team and they're losing and you're like, okay, I got to accept, it's over. Click, right? Shut off the TV, walk out, you know, get off the couch, right? It's over. This woman has got to think, it's, it's over. I can't imagine how defeated she feels. And it's not just her physical woundedness. She's dealt with whatever this is for 12 years. But the emotional and social woundedness and challenges as well. You've got to understand in these days that there is a very narrow and kind of legal interpretation of the law. Never God's intention, but the way that the religious leaders at the time interpreted this. That if you had this condition... If you were bleeding, if you had a condition like this, you would be considered impure or unclean. And so the, the myth, the, the, the kind of the urban legend out there, but was made into actually not just a legal law, but a religious law, if you touch somebody that's unclean, then you will become unclean. You just don't do that. You don't even talk, let alone a woman that's unclean, who was in those days, unfortunately, way down on the societal ladder. You don't talk to a woman, you don't touch anybody, man or woman, that is unclean she hadn't felt human touch in 12 years no hugs no high fives at the beginning of worship no handshakes no hand on her back for 12 years as far as she was concerned her value her dignity her worth her hope of a future was over that is unless she thought maybe maybe i could touch this miracle man, this miracle man, and so we get to verse 27, and it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. You have to understand what an act of desperation this is. She's unclean, and if she initiates it, not not only just with any person, but a man, a rabbi, a religious leader about Jesus, this could be the end for her. You don't touch a rabbi if you're unclean. And so she could literally be put to death for doing this. So this is a matter of life and death in multiple ways for her. But she's heard about Jesus, and it's really she's at the end of a rope. She's like, I'm not just going to touch him, but maybe, just maybe if I could touch the hem of his robe, then I might be healed, we see. And then in verse 28, because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And she does. She pushes her way through the crowd it's like black friday at target and she's moving her way through and getting you know people out of the way and she gets there and then we read immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering and so as we read as she touches his cloak jesus feels the healing power go out of him isn't that crazy of all these people, I mean, Jesus has probably been touched by hundreds of people, right? When you're in a crowd, everybody's bumping up against you, and yet Jesus says, who touched me? You might think that's a throwaway verse, but what I want you to hear this morning, I think what Jesus wants you to know, he sees you. You're not a face in the crowd. Some of you walk in, oh, Lutheran Church hopes this big church, and there's all these people. I'm just going to kind of walk in and, and hear a sermon and then leave, and, and nobody will really know. Nobody needs to know. He does. He's never out of touch with you. He felt uh, hundreds of people had touched him, but when this particular incident, he felt the healing go out of his body, and so he asked who it was. And again, if this woman fesses up and says it was me, she's done. And yet, she has faith. She has courage, and she says it was me. And instead of casting her out or demeaning her, Jesus responds in verse 34. Let's read this together up on the screen. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read it together. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In other words, Jesus says to the woman, your story that has been defined by defeat is now defined by me. That's what happens when you get a touch from God. Whatever has defined your story in the past, disappointment, abuse, woundedness, betrayal, defeat, When you meet Jesus, it's defined by victory, not because of your strength and your power, but because of his strength and his power. Amen? It's not like, oh, I'm just going to keep going on with my hopelessness and despair, and I'll just kind of tack Jesus on the side. Yeah, I go to church. No, Jesus changes everything. Amen? Amen? Jesus changed everything from her. Her story is now defined by this moment that she was literally touched by God. Not everybody in the Bible can claim that, right? What would it be like to be touched by God? Not necessarily in a physical sense, but for us here today in, in the depths of who you are, you need that healing touch. You're not anonymous to him. He knows you just like he knows the woman. He knows your story. He knows what you're up against. And so Jesus connects with her on this deep level because she, they had this touch didn't have to but there's something powerful about touch it connects us on this deeply human level and maybe nobody knows the power of touch better than than parents and and kids I was thinking about it this week there was a commercial that the Pandora company that does jewelry uh, I don't normally watch jewelry commercials in my free time but this past week I remembered this one and what they did is I think it was originally for Mother's Day but it's bigger than that it's about the power of touch about human touch and what they did is they, they had five or six uh, pairs of moms and their little kids, sons or daughters, probably four or five, six years old. And they brought them in, they lined up the moms, and then they blindfolded the kids and they said, Go find your mom only through touch. Go find your mom. You can't say anything. The moms can't say anything. You just have to go and, and figure out which one's your mom only based on touch. And as you watch this, yes, it's the power of, of parenting and, and motherhood, but deeper than that, Look at the level of connection that is possible through the power of touch. Take a look. (sighs) As a young parent, seriously, jewelry commercials, everything, everything. Some of you want to go to Hope Kids and hug your kid right now, you know, something like that. I don't don't know who that was more impactful for, the kids or maybe the parents. The kids just knew it. Like they touch they, they you, that's it. Because there's this deeper connection. There's something powerful about touch, the way that humans interact in that way. And it's not just parent to child. that could be as a grandparent, you know that today, or as an aunt or uncle. Anyone that works with kids, there's that deeply connected parental connection there but it's not just kids it's it's the power of human touch in all different ways that we, we see that at world or political leaders shaking hands on a deal you know that's when the deal's done it's a big deal that they're connecting and shaking hands it's a it's a husband and a wife Now you may now kiss the bride at the altar that moment that seals the deal there's power in that touch and that human connection it's it's powerful touch is also healing in a way. I could do a whole sermon just on what I read this past week on the the statistics that surround this. Multiple scientific studies have shown how human touch reduces stress on a regular basis, basis. It lowers blood pressure. It reduces the risk of heart disease, all these things. It's powerful. There's power in touch. It's why we do what we do here on the weekends as well when we do our, you know, hey, stand up after the announcements and give a high five or handshake. Some of you are like, that's weird. That's really weird. Is that, is that the time for extroverts and the time for introverts to be conveniently in the bathroom? Is that what that is? Like, I get it. I'm a, I'm a fellow introvert myself. But there's power in that. There's power. That's why we do what One, It's just it, we're friendly. It's good to be the church. It's good to be friendly. But a part of being the church is we're family. We're, We're the body of Christ. We're connected with each other. So if you didn't get it out of your system earlier, turn to the people on the other side of you. Give them a little high five right now, just to the side. A little fist bump. Just tell them that right now. Say hello, neighbor. Just give them a high five, a little fist bump. We're connected. There's power in that. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's a cute little thing you do as a church. There's a gentleman that came up to me a few weeks ago. I was thinking about the message, the power of touch. Today he came up to me and he said, John, I live alone, I'm pretty isolated, I live a pretty lonely life, but I come here for worship on the week, and he said, you know, because I was talking like, what do you love about hope? He said, you know that little meet and greet time we do at the beginning of the service? Sometimes that's the only human touch that I have the whole week. I'm not kidding you. He said, it makes me feel human. Don't underestimate the power of touch. Why in most of Jesus' miracles... Is he touching the person? So that maybe they could know and we could know that Jesus is never out of touch. He says, I've got you. Whatever you're up against, whatever you feel defeated by today, I've got you. Do you know that you can have that type of connection that the parents had with the kids in the video? You can have that relationship with God. I love the kids just went down. Nope, that's not it. Because they know, they know there's a deeper connection there. And you can have that type of connection with God. It doesn't have to be this religious transaction as, well, God, I came to church, so now hopefully you bless me. No, 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 no. It's not a transaction. It's transformational. You have a relationship with God that you can know and have that deeper connection. You can have it if you'll receive it. Which is what a man named Jairus comes to find that same day as well. Go back to your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Turns out the bleeding woman was just the beginning of Jesus' day. We find this her story actually sandwiched in the middle of a bigger story. I know we're getting a little close to lunch, so this is dangerous to talk about sandwiches, but that's Mark 5, okay? So you've got the bleeding woman story in the middle, and then on either side of that, the bun, is this story of Jairus and his daughter. So we pick it up, and back in verse 22, at the beginning of uh, the story, we read that Jairus is the leader of a local synagogue, Basically, the pastor of this small town congregation there in Capernaum, and he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Verse 23 He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter, who Luke's gospel tells us the extra detail, she's 12. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. Touch. Please put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Woman that's been bleeding for 12 years, 12-year-old girl. It's no coincidence Mark is putting these stories together because they're the same story. They're desperate. There's people that have this desperate faith for Jesus. Some of you are saying, like, oh, that's a cute little Bible story. It is cute, a little Bible story, until those of you that are grandparents or parents and you have a little girl. I can't tell you the first time that my little Evie got sick, she had a cold and she had all this congestion and little kids don't know how to you know, cough it up. As adults, we know how to take care of a cold. You feel so helpless as a parent when your little girl is sick, and when your little girl is sick, you'll do anything. You'll do anything. I mean, I am a wreck when Evie has a cold. And here's Jairus, my li- I don't know what else to do, Jesus, and so he- this is a religious leader that's probably in cahoots with the Pharisees, the arch nemesis of Jesus, saying, I don't care if you're on the other side. I mean, in these days, I don't care if I have to go to a Democrat's house and I'm a staunch Republican, right? I don't care. I'm going to go to the other side. It doesn't matter because I'm desperate because my little girl is sick. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus do. Don't miss this. He goes with him. There's some other miracles where Jesus just kind of stays where he is and is like, have faith, I'll heal him, I'll get there eventually. Not this time. And I don't know, you know, Jesus is God, right? And God is our Father. And I don't know if something in God the Father in that moment rose up that Father heart connected with the the Father heart of Jairus. This time, it's personal. And you need to know that today. He wants it to be personal with you. I don't know how it happened, but I would imagine he put his arm around Jairus and said, let's go. I'm going to go with you personal. And that's when Jesus, on his way, here he is with Jairus, and he's on his way over here to Jairus' house, it's on the way that he's interrupted that this woman touches his cloak, the story we just talked about. Essentially, Jesus gets across the the Sea of Galilee, he's interrupted, and on his interruption, he gets interrupted. (laughs) Again, Jesus got interrupted more than anybody else. And I wonder if today what we see as interruptions in our lives Jesus actually sees as divine opportunities, holy moments. And some of you are missing it because you're convinced that the big thing that you're looking for, the new job, the new house, the new friend group, whatever I got to get over here, I got to get this raise, I got to get everything figured out, I got to have all my answers figured out. Whatever the big thing is, is over there. And Jesus says, what about the interruptions that I'm bringing along the way? Maybe the big thing is the interruption and you're missing it. How many opportunities to pray for a coworker? How many opportunities to make a call to that family member that you're distant from? How many opportunities to to listen to your kids laugh or giggle or play with them? How many opportunities have you missed at weekly worship to say, oh, something's better. I've got something more important to do than connect with my church family, and you missed it. I'm so thankful Jesus lived with a rest and a rhythm and a pace of life to where he didn't just put up with interruptions he welcomed them he welcomed them do you have that pace to your life as when you get interrupted even when you're in a hurry you can stop and slow down so thankful that Jesus welcomed the interruption or that touch of God for the bleeding woman that story never happens because Jesus has something more important well it turns out in this case they're both important eventually Jesus arrives over here at Jairus's house but it seems like it's too late because it's when he gets there that Jairus gets word that his daughter has actually died and as a dad in that moment I'm ticked can we be honest (laughs) I'm really frustrated because Jesus you're late how many of you have felt that exact same thing I have been waiting and waiting on you God to move like the song we sang this morning I'm I'm walking around these walls, these barriers, these obstacles in my life. How long, oh Lord, do I have to wait? That's the entire book of Psalms, by the way. If you ever feel like you can't identify with the Bible, read the book of Psalms. How long? Some of you are waiting on that prayer. Jairus is right there. You're thinking, if you're Jairus, game over. Turn turn the channel. It's over. Death has won. What does Jesus say? It's not over till it's over. And with God... It's never over. It's never over. Watch what Jesus does in this part of the story. Three keys about how Jesus meets us in our grief. Some of you are grieving today. Some of you are hurting today. Three things about how Jesus meets us in the middle of our hurt and our pain. Number one, he's personal. We've already learned that. What's fascinating about all these miracles in the book of Mark, not one of them is the same. Jesus healed a blind guy one time by rubbing spit and mud on his eyes. What? Jesus, you're weird. (laughs) But he's personal. Every miracle is different. Have you noticed that? Because every person is different. The touch of God that you need today is different from what the person sitting next to you need, but the power of the Holy Spirit is going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. Number one, he's personal. The second thing we learn about how God meets us in our grief is what Jesus does. He's a safe place. Watch what Jesus does in verse 37. There's an entire crowd gathered around. They even hired people to come in. In this sense, they hired women to come in and weep and wail. It was a sign of respect. I mean, Jairus is a well-known figure, figurehead in town, And there's an entire crowd, hundreds of people probably gathering around. And Jesus, understanding the sensitivity of the situation, when you've had a loved one die, a family member die, when you're hurting, you're having a terrible week or a terrible day, do you want a lot of people around? No. You want to be left alone, right? So I love what Jesus does here. Uh, in the Greek, it's, it's the, the word here doesn't, tra- there's not an exact English translation. We just think Jesus asked some people to leave. The Greek verb is a little bit closer to he threw out the crowd. Some of you are like, geez, calm down, Jesus. I don't read it like that. You know what I read it as? Jesus is extremely protective of people that are hurting. Like this righteous passion to protect hearts that are aching. And some of you need to hear that today, right in the middle of your grief, right in the middle of your pain, right in the middle of whatever you're up against today. Jesus says, I'm not far from you. What is he doing? Jesus is creating a safe place. When you're with people that are hurting and grieving, do you try to just offer a bunch of answers that there's no explanation? Well, God needed them more than you did. Well, they're an angel in heaven now. Well, that doesn't really help right now. You know what does help? Shutting your mouth and listening and crying and weeping with people. And reminding them that God's never out of touch. Jesus clears out the crowd and he says, This, I want Peter, James, and John, my inner circle. I want mom and dad. That's it. Everybody else gone. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He is creating a safe place and then he goes in and he says to this little girl that's dead. <laughs> Okay, everybody, you know, the disciples got to be thinking, Jesus, you've, you've healed paralyzed people. You've healed the blind man. You've healed somebody that had a cold over here. She's dead, Jesus. The stakes are high now. The plot thickens. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and says, Talitha Kaum, which is Aramaic, the original language that Jesus and his disciples spoke. The New Testament's written in Greek. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. And the reason that authors leave sometimes the original language in there is to get your attention. Talitha Kaum, little girl, get up or arise. And it says the little girl immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. She stood up and began to walk around. This isn't just like a partial healing or a kind of healing. It is full restoration. This isn't a random act of kindness. Jesus is pointing the end times. He's pointing to when I'm going to come back again and there's going to be complete healing for everybody. I'm not just going to kind of heal you, but people that have never ran are going to run. People that have never walked are going to walk. People that have never jumped are going to jump. There's going to be no more goodbyes. There's going to be no more funerals, praise God, in the end of all things when Jesus comes back and sets everything right. So he's pointing to the kingdom to come. Can you imagine being there? It's not over till it's over. And with Jesus, it's never over. And yet, what I don't want you to miss in this story is this little phrase in verse 41. Right before he says, Talitha Kaum, what do we read? Jesus took her by the hand. Touch. Both of these stories, the woman, the little girl, touched by God. He touched her which if you know anything about those days, is an absolute abomination. Jesus is like a rebel. He's the rebel of all rebels because the Mosaic law at the time also said, you don't touch a dead body. Well, unless you're God and you just stared face in the death, well, then maybe you can touch a dead body, right? Jesus does that. He touches her. He didn't have to. But I think he wanted her to know, his parents and us, her parents and us here today, yes, I'm personal, yes, I'm a safe place, but I am never out of touch with you. I've got you. Jesus says, that he looks you in the eyes this morning and says, I've got you. I've got you. Whatever you're up against, I've got you. I'm never out of touch. Some of you feel like you're out of touch with God today. We use that phrase a lot. Sometimes we'll say, you know, I had friends in high school or college or, you know, I was an adult and, well, oh, we just kind of lost touch. Some of you feel that exact same way with God. Oh, we just grew distant. I don't feel connected to God today. You, you got to know today, he never left. He's never left. He's always in touch Over and over, seven times, over seven times in Mark's gospel, we read this phrase Jesus reached out and touched her. Jesus touched him. Jesus reached out and grabbed his hand, her hand, over and over, so that if you're feeling distant from him today, you could know that he's never left. And he's reaching out to you with the same hands, the same healing touch. Today, that can restore a marriage that can take your, your your brokenness and your past and your guilt and your shame and, and offer freedom, a freedom from an addiction or even from a physical ailment to healing, whatever it is, that same healing touch is available to you today. And maybe you think these are Bible stories. You guys, this is our story as a church. If you've never come up for prayer, you gotta stick around after the service. I mean, sermons is okay sometimes, once in a while, the worship's pretty awesome. You should really stick around for prayer. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, but people come up and they're prayed for, and our story as a church, people get healed. This stuff happens. People have been cured from all sorts of things through the power of prayer. It's amazing. It it, it happens. It's, It's reality. We can't deny it. I know, we're Lutheran. It's crazy, but it happens. We really believe in that, and that's why prayer is a big deal. I know people get all worked up about, oh, thoughts and prayers. We need action. You know what's action? Prayer. It's not an either or. There's action when it comes to things, and there's prayer. They go together. It's not one or the other. So don't demean prayer as if it's some just throwaway. Prayer changes things. It's the most powerful thing you could do. If you're up against it, if you've got a situation, I pray that we have a church culture that I would never come to worship and not get prayed for. Why would I deny the opportunity for the supernatural to break into my natural, to break into my ordinary? It happens, but not all the time. For every leper that was healed, there was a thousand others that weren't. For every woman that was healed, there was a thousand others that weren't. And this side of heaven, we may never know why, but if we learn anything from these stories, we know that Jesus was no less present in the hurt as he was the healing, that Jesus was no less present in the messiness as he was in the miracle. And you've got to know that today, that he was right there, and nobody knows that better than a couple named Joel and Janie Taylor. You don't know this, but a lot of the songs that we sing here at Hope are from a, a musical group uh, of artists from Bethel Music, from uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, They put out amazing music. And we're going to sing one of their songs at the end today, but I want you to know the story behind it. Joel is the CEO and producer of a lot of that music at Bethel. And last year, him and his wife, Janie, they have two kids. They have a daughter that's five or six, and then they have Jackson, this cute little blonde three-year-old. And last year, in some strange happening, he gets E. coli poisoning, and through a complication of that, gets this rare uh, HUD—it's called H.U.D.—rare rare complication from E. coli, and he, his liver starts to shut down. And doctors, it's—it's it's over. I mean, you're not just down 12 with with two minutes to go; the game's over. Like, people don't bounce back from this. And so I want to share the story with you so you understand the significance behind that song. You're going to meet another couple in this video named Jonathan and Melissa Helzer, also Bethel artists. And in the darkest hour, when he's in the, the, the intensive care unit and they don't think he's going to make it through the night, you'll hear the story. Helzers just literally start to worship. In the middle of their weeping and their grieving for this little boy, they just write this song like that they write this song and as you watch this video i don't want you to just say wow look at the cool healing that happened i want you to see how jesus met them right in the middle of their mess in the unanswered questions in the middle of the mystery and the power of praise the power of worship brought them together as a community let's take a look at jackson's story
1: we got the news that he was in extremely serious condition, and it just went from worse to worse. In about a 12-hour time period, it, it went from he's just kind of had, had this little sick thing at home to life or death.
0: We're, you know, we in a we're in a battle for a child's life and for a family.
1: I knew
2: this, he's not okay. He needs to go to the hospital, and so we rushed him to the ER. He was just like so sick, and I could hardly, you know, get him to the hospital.
1: The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities, and that we had to go to a different children's hospital, and I was thinking, oh, that's gonna be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight, and you're gonna get on a helicopter, we're gonna fly him there.
2: In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ, and called the an neurosurgeon in. they tested him and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition
1: of me. There's a time when you've said every prayer you can say and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore and you haven't slept for weeks and you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone flip side of that is I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers.
2: We were in the brink of life or death and people would be posting comments on our Facebook. We are up praying for you.
1: I didn't have any prayers left to say but I could feel and see and hear the prayers being said on my behalf.
2: I remember the night we got the text that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night.
0: When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms mm-hmm. and just, like, began to weep. And I could just feel like, mm-hmm. like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose Jackson. Like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be a victory on this battlefield.
2: Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only moment of trauma and mm-hmm. intensity can actually call forth. In those moments, for us, like, the only option is, like, we just have to
0: worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like, it's, it's, your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like, the Lord's not gonna hear it. This is gonna be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um,
1: I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song, and I don't know to what extent, but he said his, their community had prayed for Jackson, and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song, and so they just, you know, recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone, and I played it over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody.
2: He started talking again.
1: What
2: did you just paint a picture? Of? You know, he was. You could tell it was. It was still like fragile. It was still coming back, but he was talking again, and that was like
1: amazing. Just the shift internally of like we made it was incredible. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas, and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. We believe in the power of praise. We've seen God do a lot. And I don't know the secret to all of it, but I do know that Jackson is well today, and I can't
0: help but wonder or think that uh, that that praise had a part of that. I raise hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Even when that enemy is death, Like this this cry that just came out of his heart. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I want you to notice something that they worshipped in the darkest hour. There is this terrible lie out there in Christianity that we worship when it feels good to us. We worship when God has done something that we like. We worship when we think God deserves it. We worship when things are going well for us. Do you want to defy the powers of evil and darkness around you? Worship in your darkest moments. It's like a kick in the face to evil. Something, like Melissa said, will rise up in you. And when you're in the darkest hour, when you're down by 12 with two minutes to go, when you're up against it and you don't know what else to do or say... We never wish these moments on anybody, we don't wish them on anybody, but in those moments, I feel like those that have experienced the depth of desperation that the bleeding woman felt, that Jairus felt with this little girl, that Joel felt with this little boy, that we get to experience a depth of God's love that maybe we wouldn't have experienced any other way. I raise a hallelujah, I raise up a shout, I sing to you God, Halle, praise, Hallelujah, ye, you, praise you in the middle of my storm in the middle of my mystery I raise a hallelujah so why Jackson and not others why your loved one but the loved one of the person sitting next to you didn't make it why the bleeding woman and not the other one there are some questions of this side of heaven we may not fully understand but boy we get a really really big clue at the end of this story You might think it's a throwaway verse. Verse 43, Jesus heals the woman, he heals the little girl, and then he says, shh, Jesus gave very strict orders, don't tell anybody. Why? Jesus, this is like the biggest PR moment of your life. This is it, man, we should call the the news stations, we should put it on a billboard, I mean, Jesus heals dead girl. I mean, this would make you rich and famous and popular if that was Jesus' mission, but it's not, and his mission is to not run around and try to be everybody's ER doctor either. Jesus says, no, there's a depth to my kingdom that's coming of full restoration because these miracles that you see, they're going to pale in comparison to what's coming. You think me healing a dead girl was cool? Wait a few weeks, and I'm going to ruin my own funeral. It's called Easter, and you should come back and hear about it. There's a deeper mission, there's a deeper healing, there's a greater enemy that Jesus came to defeat than just whatever ails us for give or take 70 to 90 years. There's a deeper enemy and it's spiritual death. It's our sin, it's our separation from God. What's your plan for eternity today? What's your plan for death? Because here's the thing we forget, the little girl that Jesus raised, I hope she lived a long, full life, eventually she died. I know, sounds morbid, it's reality. The bleeding woman, I hope she had many more good years of health and and wholeness, she died. The crowd that was around Jesus that day to witness these miracles, they died. Peter, James, and John, they died. All of you that can hear my voice today, including myself, at some point we're gonna reach the end and that's it for these bodies. What's what's our plan? We, we, We need something, we're gonna need a bigger victory than just physical healing and Jesus says, that's my mission to win a victory for you over your sin and your death. It's a permanent victory, not just to save you from illness for 80 years or so, but for eternity. That's the touch from heaven that we all need. Why things happen the way they do, I have no idea, but I know that the war is won. I know that victory is at hand, and you may feel defeated and knocked down and beat up and down and out this morning, but with Jesus, it's never over. It's never over for you. Whatever you're up against today, because of the empty grave. And that's why we can raise the hallelujah. Why I can say, God, I'm gonna worship you and I praise you and you are good. I don't know what my job is going to be in a few years. I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to my family. I don't know about our financial situation. I don't know what's going to happen to our house. I don't know if I'm going to get in a car accident. I don't know what's going to happen in my relationships. I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage. But God, I know that I trust you. And right now, here, today, in this moment, I'm at church. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to raise a hallelujah right in the middle of the storm. I don't know what's going to happen. But I raise a hallelujah in the darkest moments. And we're just going to talk about it today. We're going to do it. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to to write this down. And that's why on every single one of your chairs, there's a sheet of paper this morning and a marker or a pen. And we're going to raise a hallelujah together. We're going to sing this song that was written for Jackson. But before we do, I want you to write down on that piece of paper. Some of you have experienced a miracle, and I want you to write that down. Some of you are waiting for a miracle. Some of you are grieving today. Write it down anyway. Write down your hallelujah, what God has done for you in the past, a moment of God's faithfulness. Write, write, write a, a sentence to God about his goodness, the way that he's provided for you what you love about him. Thank God that he's a God of grace and mercy that's rescued you. Write down your praise, your worship, your hallelujah, a word, a phrase, a sentence, whatever it is. And what we're gonna do is our creative team is gonna create a wall over there on this new wall that's been constructed, and it's gonna be a hallelujah wall. And so you write what you feel comfortable with on there. You don't put your name on it or anything, but we're gonna put those up. And what I'm going to have you do is when you're done writing, I'm going to have you come up and there'll be three baskets up here on the stage. And when you're ready, you drop your note in one of those baskets and the creative team will add them to our wall of praise, our hallelujah wall. Even if it hasn't happened yet, you write it down in the middle of your storm. And so once we do that, we're going to ask you to return to your seats. Don't go anywhere. Hang tight. And we're going to sing a song that Jonathan Helser wrote that night that they weren't sure if Jackson was going to make it, it's called, I Raise a Hallelujah. Or as it's better known to their family, Jackson Song. Jackson Song. Let's raise a hallelujah and let's worship together. And the obstacles and the challenges and the defeat, you're still good. God, I pray that that anthem would be heard in the presence of our enemies, especially this morning, that of death and sickness and families that are hurting and unanswered prayers, it seems. God, you're so much more. We thank you for the healing that you bring in your timing, in your ways. And from the depths of our souls, we say we trust you. And we worship you. And we raise a hallelujah. Because the darkness will never extinguish the light. And so we cry out to you and we say thank you. And we say you are good. And that we will worship you. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. I'm going to worship you on my toughest days. We thank you that you're a God that's with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys, in the now and in the not yet, in the calm and in the storm. So meet us there this week, God. Give us your courage and your confidence to walk into each day knowing that you've got us and you hold us with your touch by the hand. Continue to pour your love into our hearts, God, so that we can overflow with that love and reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Now that you've come to church, go and be the church. Come on up for prayer if you need it. Bring your connection cards to the back. We'll see you next week.